0: amazing or incredible i'm actually very excited for the vbs theme this year my wife and i and our boys have been binge watching amazing race and we've never seen it before so we're on like season two right now so if you know what happens don't tell me i don't want to know um and by the way super impressed with your willingness to brave the torrential downpour to get out here today I hear that we're going to have at least like two or three millimeters of, of rain today. So well done. Um, and then I just have to apologize. There, During worship time when Pete said, let your hair down, I saw a few of you guys in the back with shiny Shekinah glory on your, your forehead just kind of like start to wilt inside. So from from Pete... John, I'm sorry. John, I'm sorry. And others, we are sorry. We let our hair down in different ways, like down into your ears and your nostrils as we get older. All right, we're moving on. I apologize. I got to tell you, in my 40s, the dad jokes are getting more lame, which just means that I am coming into my own right now. When my boy's grown, you know you've arrived as a father. So glad that you're here. And if you are um, our, our new to Lighthouse. My name's Eric. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in a series in which we've been exploring. Uh, it, it's funny. It, it started out as, as one thing, and it's become much more of a conversation about the Holy Spirit's place in our lives. And I love the way that God kind of even to Jeff and I begins to unfold what we get to teach on as it's, it's something that he has been teaching us as well. And so this has been a series about how the Holy Spirit influences our lives and the impact on it. And we began with this conversation of what happens when we accept Christ into our heart because we began back in Easter. When we accept the gift that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, when we invite Jesus into our heart, what really happens is the Holy Spirit of God enters it. It's not like you get a little version of Jesus is about this big to kind of camp out and bring a chair into your heart. Even though it's four spiritual laws, you see a little throne there it's really the holy spirit the same spirit that empowered jesus throughout his earthly ministry the same spirit that ultimately rose him from the dead is this is the the spirit that enters into our lives both to breathe new life into us as well as to empower us to be not only uh, god's family but enables us to represent him to do what he created us to do and then as we've Been been leaning into well, what are the impacts of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life? We call this "Welcome to the Family" this series because when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, it's not like it's just a signing bonus. His presence brings about ramifications in our lives. Most notably, we become part of the family of God. The Holy Spirit is what brings about our adoption, as God saying, "This one is mine, and this one is mine." And because of his presence in our lives, we can remain secure in his love for us. We don't have to worry that, you know, the enemy can just pull us away from him or that sin can overpower that. And also, because we are adopted into his family, it means that every single man, woman, and child on this planet who has accepted Christ's sacrifice and has invited the Holy Spirit into their life, they are our family, which is why I just love the theme for this BBS. We get to have this conversation with the kids that we are currently having right now. We are family. And despite the fact that we have, you know, different shades of skin color, we speak different languages, we come from different backgrounds, and Gasp even might vote differently from one another, we are all part of, wow, Echo, echo, echo. Shiny object. Sorry about that. Terry's up there goofing around with me like, let's see if we can distract Eric. Mission accomplished, sir. (laughs) I shouldn't have donuts before we start. I'm just saying. I I am keyed up this morning. So we become part of the same family. And even though we're different, we are still unified into one body. And and, and by the way, we saw a beautiful picture of this yesterday. For those of you who were able to make it, we had the the second annual Love Costa Mesa Serve Day. Uh, Thankfully, it was a beautiful sunny day. Last year, just to give you an idea, we had about 15 churches or so, but we had about 300 people who showed up to work on about 20 projects. That was last year. It was great. This year, We had over 900 people show up to work on 35 projects. But the best part for me is that it was comprised of people from all over our city, including representatives from 28 different churches, as a reminder tangibly that there's really only one church in Costa Mesa really only one church around the globe, Jesus Christ is the head of it. We may meet in different places. We may be teaching on different things and worshiping with different songs or different volumes of music, but ultimately we are all part of the same family because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the reality is if you look at history, Jesus's Jesus' final prayer we read in, in John 17 was that we would be unified. Not just so that we could get along, but that we would be unified as a testimony to the world that despite our differences, we are ultimately members of the kingdom of God, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would be his representatives. And And unfortunately, if you look at the church today, it's pretty disunified. In a lot of ways, we tend to spend more energy focusing on what our differences are, what we disagree about than what unifies us. And by the way, this isn't this isn't anything new. This has been happening as far back as the beginning of the early church. And so I wanna take us to a passage today uh, in Galatians chapter five. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. We're gonna be camped out in Galatians five. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you, grab it. If you don't own a Bible, that is now yours. This is our gift to you. the The, the city of Galatia, was a lot like Costa Mesa in that it was full of people from very disparate backgrounds. And even within the, the church, the, the community of Christ followers in Galatia, they were also experiencing a tremendous amount of, of differences. I mean, you had in a culture where division was kind of hyper accentuated, you had men and women worshiping together, children and parents worshiping together, slaves and slave owners worshiping together, rich and poor gathering together to have meals. And and most notably of all, you had people from Jewish as well as non-Jewish or Gentile backgrounds who both of whom had come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord trying to worship together. And because you have all of these differences and distinctions and fault lines, The early church experienced a whole bunch of friction you know we have earthquakes here in California they had relational earthquakes constantly going on in the early churches they're trying to figure out how do we do life with people who believe in Jesus and have accepted the gift of grace but still are very very different from one another and one of the things that they grappled with is that the Jewish Christians were looking at their Gentile brethren and saying hey you know, if if you want to really embrace Jesus as your Messiah, that's great. But since he's the Jewish Messiah, you're going to need to be Jewish. You're going to need to embrace not just the grace that he bought for you on the cross, but you need to embrace all of Judaism, which means you need to embrace the law, the law of Moses, because it's the law that sets us apart from everybody else. It's the law that helps us to To become better followers of our Father God, better representatives of his heart. So if you really want to have a relationship with Jesus, you also need to grab hold of the law. And Paul writes his letter to the Galatians in large part to deal with this conflict that's going on. And one of the things I love that he kind of comes right out of the gate saying earlier on in the letter that we're not going to read. He says, listen, you are not saved by 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 doing the law by observing the law it is by grace you are saved through faith not by works not by your actions not by trying to be a good person so that ultimately nobody can boast and in the very first verse of chapter 5 here he says this it is for freedom that Christ has set us free so stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, Jesus Christ died to set us free from the burden of the law, from trying to earn our standing with God by doing good works, by trying to build these ladders to heaven that we have to try to climb up and stay on. And ultimately every single one of us falls short and our ladders never reach that level that we're supposed to be. Because we're saved by grace, we all have a similar footing. We all have a similar beginning. But here's the danger, or here's the confusing part, is that the hardest part of, of living in freedom is that when you have already experienced captivity, when you've already experienced bondage, it's really hard to know how to navigate your freedom. I saw this when I was a kid living at my parents' house. Uh, my mom was like known as Dr. Doolittle on our street. Every time an animal got injured, they'd bring it to my mom and she would nurse it back to health. So we had ducks, we had rabbits, we had, thankfully not cats, because spawns of the devil no No, i'm joking okay that was too much i'm allergic but um i I got a tennis racket so i got a little bit of cat in my house i'm gonna stop i am in trouble today and i have i don't really i'm sorry not sorry Um, but, but one of the most remarkable animals that happened to make its way into our home was a raven or a a crow that we named Rommel. And it had, as a baby crow in its nest, it fell out, injured its wing. Somebody brought it to my mom. She began to nurse it back to health. And ultimately Rommel lived in a cage in my room. We would we would feed it. We would hold it. He would he would hang out on our shoulders as we walked around. Uh, we had to paint his talons so that people knew he was a domesticated crow. Uh, he went on trips with us. My my mom actually brought him through the airport at one point when you were allowed to do things like that, and the people were like, "Oh, what?" And because he had toenail polish, they let him through. I don't get it. Um, and, and quite honestly, we nursed him back to health and helped. Raise this crow who became part of our family. We even have uh, family photos where Rommel is in the picture because he was part of the family. But there came a point where Rommel got a little bit too big for not only his cage, but too big for our home. There were times where he would just fly around my room and literally just jumping off of walls like one of my kids hopped up on two donuts. Like he was all over the place. And we came to the realization that caring for him in the way that we had, putting him in a cage, feeding him the regular rhythm of life in our home had served its purpose, but it had outlived its usefulness. And in fact, Rommel was not created for captivity. He was created to be free. And we realized it was time to set him free. And so one day we as a family brought him down from upstairs and took him out onto the porch of our home. And we, our porch was right across the street from a park. And we're like, Rommel, buddy, you're free. He didn't get the memo. He kind of just hung out on the balcony, looking out over the park. And, and we had to kind of shoo him a little bit. And at one point he finally made one quick circuit around the park and flew right back into the house. Right, and, and he found his way back upstairs and was in his cage we realized we needed to give him a little bit more time so over the next several days we kept taking him out and trying to let him go and each time he would take a little bit longer out there but ultimately would beeline it right back to his cage until finally one day rommel was able to to kind of embrace his freedom and stayed out and he would from time to time bring us gifts leave mice and things on the doorstep really appreciated. Not really. But, um, you know, he, he was finally able to start living out of the freedom. But it took him a long time. And in the same way for the Jews, they really, really struggled with this whole idea that Jesus Christ died to set us free. Because what does that mean? What do you mean, Paul, when you say that Jesus Christ set us free from the law? I mean, if what you're saying is that we're no longer need to be afraid of, of being eternally separated from God because he died. That, that's cool. But what about the law? I mean, the law was put there by God to be guardrails to help guide us. And if you're saying the law has gone, then that's basically like God saying, hey, be free little birds. Good luck out there, and then just leaving us as orphans to try to stumble around in the dark. That is very, very dangerous, because if people aren't given some sort of direction, our natural propensity is to run right into things that are radically destructive. And so, Paul, are you suggesting that God is just abandoning us? That doesn't seem loving. That seems dangerous. And that's what Paul spends the second half of Galatians chapter 5 addressing, is what our freedom is, but also what our freedom is not. And he becomes right out of the gate explaining what our freedom is not. He says, you, my brothers and my sisters, this is verse 13, by the way, Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers and sisters were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Every time he uses the flesh, some of your translations might say uh, sin nature. He's not talking about our our skin and bones. He's talking about our natural tendency to gravitate, gravitate towards things that are ultimately destructive. Our sinful nature. So you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sin nature or your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, this law that you keep going on about saying we need to embrace it, the entire law, where am I? There we are. It's fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That encompasses the entire heart of what the law is getting you to try to do is to love one another as you love yourself. If you continue to bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. So our freedom in Christ is not carte blanche freedom to live any way that you want. It's not freedom to say and to indulge your your sinful nature that naturally gravitates towards things that are often momentarily satisfying but ultimately are destructive both to yourself As well as the people around you and destructive to relationship. Because by the way, that's not loving. It's not loving to you and it's not loving to others. Instead, you need to follow the spirit. And this is where he, he begins to juxtapose. He basically makes the point that we have not been abandoned and orphaned by our God. That we haven't just been pushed out of the house and say, hey, good luck. I hope you figure it out. Instead of saying, hey, here is... The law, and this is going to be your roadmap to life, almost like one of those Thomas guides that a few of you still have in the back of your car under this, you know, pile of uh, of Del Taco wrappers and, and church bulletins from years past, right? It, it's still back there every once in a while you pull it out, but at the end of the day, roads have changed. There's traffic jams, there's accidents, there's there's things that are going on, and that, that Thomas guide can't keep up with that. And he's saying, that's what the law is like. It's like a Thomas guide that doesn't shift or or mold to the the movement of life. Instead, I'm going to give you something even better. I'm going to give you a partner in life to walk with you. And that partner is the same spirit that, that walked with and enabled Jesus to do everything he did over the course of his public ministry. That same spirit that rose him from the dead. He is going to be in you, walk with you, and guide you. That is your guidance and it's much more interactive it's much more living and active than any thomas guide any hard un- unyielding law ever could be and quite honestly it will the holy spirit will help you to love much much better than the law ever could because when you get focused on the law it tends to suck life out of you and out of relationship just look at the way that the pharisees they weren't known for their love were they Often I mean they were good about the law, but they totally missed the heart of god And so we read in in verse 16 So I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh You have a spirit and if you walk by the spirit You don't have to worry about giving into the flesh that's trying to pull you this way the spirit will guide you For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. Remember, you don't have carte blanche freedom to live any way that you want. You have been set free from the loss. So you can walk with the spirit and become a better representative of your father, God, whom whose image you bear in yourself. This is your enablement. They're in conflict with one another. So you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I, I, there's a story that my dad told me once of a, an old aging Indian chief who's sitting with his grandson. And the, the, the chief says to his grandson, you know, I, I have within me two wolves that war for control of my heart. One wolf is evil. He's selfish. He's arrogant. He's hateful and spiteful and he holds on to resentment. He's greedy. The other wolf is good. He's gentle, he's kind, he's he thinks of others. He's humble. He's generous. And in the silence, the, the young boy finally speaks up. Well, well which one of them wins? Right? If they're both battling, which one wins? And the grandfather looks at his son and says, the one you feed. I think Paul would agree with that old Indian grandfather that, yes, we do have two forces that vie for control of our hearts. He would just name them our sin nature, our flesh. And the Holy Spirit of God. And both of them are vying for our allegiance. Both of them invite us to follow. And I think that Paul would answer that question, which one wins a little bit different. He would say, the one that has the greatest influence on us is the one we choose to follow. Right? I look back here for just a moment because I skipped over in verse 16. he He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That word walk is an interesting one. In, in the Greek, that word is peripateo. And it, that can be translated to walk after someone or, or more, you know, to the way we would talk about it is to follow someone. Follow either the flesh or the spirit. But if you walk after, if you follow the spirit's lead, you will not gratify the the wooing of the flesh to go and dash your your life against the rocks like that siren call The the followers of uh, several of the like aristotle was one of those greek philosophers and all the followers that were with him were known as the peripatetics because they literally walked after him followed after him modeling their life after him modeling the way that they thought after him biblically We have a different term for somebody who follows another to become more like them. What do we call that person? A disciple. disciple. And that's what we are called to do is to be disciples of our God. Not trying to follow another individual, not another human being in this church. I don't want to make disciples of Eric Wayman. I know Jeff doesn't want to make disciples of Jeff. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that. By walking after, following after the Holy Spirit's lead. Because if we do that, we will not gratify the the, the siren call of the flesh. But think about walking for a moment. None of you, except for perhaps Darlene, came out of the womb being able to walk. Right? None of us. We all... Figured it out and it all took us a good amount of time for many of us nine months to a year Sometimes even longer to figure out how to use these legs and stand upright And even as we were learning as we were taking those first steps we stumbled time and again Even our kids nine ten eleven years old have scraped knees because they're still learning how to use these gangly bodies And they stumble and fall time and again But when you stumble, you don't just give up, right? You don't just say, well, walking is not for me. You get back up and you try again. And you learn and you get more competent walking. And in the same way, following the Spirit's lead isn't something that we come into a, a relationship with Jesus knowing how to do automatically. I guarantee you that every single one of you in here... Although you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you 've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and invited him into your heart, you have the Holy Spirit, but it's prob- you 're you're in the process of learning how to walk after and follow his lead and I guarantee you you stumble from time to time. I certainly do i 'm not standing up here because i 'm the, the the one who has it all together the most. I am probably the one who has it together the least. I, I love one of my my friends who works in recovery says, "Hey, listen." All of us have baggage. All of us have stumbled. But some of us, only some of us are willing to actually acknowledge that fact and do something about it. All of us in here stumble. All of us in here do not follow the Spirit's lead perfectly. Many of us in here regularly misunderstand the call of the world or our own insecurity as the Holy Spirit's voice. And we need to begin learning how to discern the difference between the spirit's voice in our life and the world's voice or our own insecurities or our own brokenness from our past because that screams loudly and we need to begin to discern and we will stumble and fall in that but that doesn't mean we stop walking it doesn't mean we we stop trying to follow the spirit's lead sounds good to me too we're moving on So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not given carte blanche freedom to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Instead, the Spirit becomes your guide and you follow the Spirit. And as you follow the Spirit, you will notice that your life will be more and more marked by the fruit of the spirit as opposed to marked by the fruit of following the flesh and what i love about paul here is he goes right into explaining the ramifications that the natural byproduct of following either the flesh or the spirit let's read this really quickly verse 19 the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I have before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus's invitation was follow me, but if you choose to follow the flesh, then are you really even a follower of Jesus Christ at all? But The fruit of the Spirit, the natural outgrowth of following the Spirit's lead is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against those kind of things, there is no law because the law is put there to be guardrails to keep us from walking after the flesh. And if you follow in the Holy Spirit, you don't need to worry about that. You're going to naturally, your life will naturally produce things that are more in keeping with the heart of our God. Now, let's lean into this just a little bit. Let's begin by looking at the fruit of following after the flesh. And we can divide this into three different primary categories. First, I would say is the the fruit of sexuality or the sin of sexuality. I'm not suggesting in any way that our sexuality is sinful. It's a good thing. But just like electricity or just like a car, they are things that are very powerful and if misused, can be incredibly destructive. And so the sins of our sexuality would be sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. And then at the very end, he adds in orgies and we throw that in that list. All of those things and so many more are pretty much summed up in the first word that he uses, which is translated in our Bibles as sexual immorality, but in Greek the word is pornea, from which we get the term pornography. And that is a blanket umbrella term that, that basically speaks to any use of our sexuality outside of the way that God intended it. As that glue that binds one man and one woman in one covenantal relationship for a lifetime. That's the way he intended it, and it's powerful because it binds us. I'm sure you guys have seen that, that thing where people will take duct tape and stick it together, right? It's, our sexuality does this to us, and, and when you begin to tear it and bind to another person and tear it and bind to another person, you ultimately leave parts of your soul there. You do incredible damage to yourself and to the other people. And that's why God says, or why Paul is here saying, hey, listen, these are some of the fruits of following your flesh because your flesh says it's okay and it feels good, so you might as well. And and our, the, the term pornea isn't just talking about the actual act of sex. It is an umbrella term that covers everything from oral sex to, to um, lust, to pornography, to... It, 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 Jesus even said, if you lust after a person in your heart it is as if you have committed adultery all right that and that's all encompassed by that term uh, porneia or sexual immorality the second group that he talks about and by the way i just want to remind you this is in no way comprehensive it's not like this is a, a full list and these are the only ways that following after the flesh is going to exhibit itself these are just an example in other lists he give he give different kinds of fruits of following the flesh But the second list would be encompassed by... Can we throw the the slide up here for the sins of spiritual sins? Okay? And, And that would be encompassed by idolatry and witchcraft. Now, I would point out that both of these things are humanity's attempts to control our environment. Idolatry. People go to idols because they believe that by worshiping that idol, they can somehow control their environment. That's why money is probably the biggest idol in America, because we believe that on a rainy day, like we're having today, if you need it, your bank account can bail you out. And so we place our trust in it, as opposed to placing our trust in God, recognizing that no money can ever save us. It's why Jesus spent so much time talking about our money, because he recognized what a rival it was to our trust in God. Similarly, witchcraft, we don't talk a lot about witchcraft in our culture. But there is, but this is hearkening to our tendency to try to control the spiritual realm in some way. And we might, you know, point to things like Ouija boards or horoscopes or, uh, you know, Chinese cookie fortunes, you know, or even going and seeing a palm reader or a fortune teller. We got a couple of them in Costa Mesa, which is kind of a bit weird. But, but any of these kind of things where you are trying somehow to Discern the spiritual realm so you can control your environment as opposed to recognizing guess what? I'm not in control But I know who is And so i'm going to put my faith in this thing or this thing or that thing or this person's fortune that they've told me as opposed to I'm going to trust god and i'm going to follow the spirit's lead And then the last list and this is by far the the longest list would be social sins I think the reason why this list is the longest in this section is because it was the social issues. It was the friction of people who are very very different from one another trying to do life together and trying to worship together. This was their issue. So that's why he spends the most time on that. And listen to the kind of fruits of giving into our fleshly impulses when we encounter people who are different from us. Hatred, discord, like we are not compatible jealousy that person's getting something that they don't deserve and i deserve that better than them fits of rage the anger that comes when you see somebody else doing better than you or somebody gets something you think you deserve or somebody does something that makes you they're a danger to themselves and they're a danger to our community they need to be shut down selfishness thinking about ourselves i'm sorry selfish ambition Focusing on building our own kingdom as opposed to remembering that we are part of God's kingdom. And that's what we're called to build. Factions. Us versus them mentality. Envy. These are the kind of fruits of giving into our flesh. When we begin to look at people who are different than us. People who talk different than us. People who vote different than us. People who have different perspectives on... on, on arguable theological matters that don't have to do with salvation and saying we will divide over this they're the enemy and let me remind you as paul reminds us that our enemy is not flesh and blood we certainly have an enemy but it's not people who look or think or vote differently than us our enemy is the same enemy that sought to destroy jesus christ the same enemy that celebrated for a moment as he hung on the cross thinking he had won It is a spiritual enemy that vies with us and and focuses our attention on our our, our fault lines of differences. And this is the kind of fruit that comes from giving into our flesh, allowing ourselves to post things on social media that is unfiltered for the world to see. Because you know what? I don't like how that person thinks, so I'm going to go ahead and railroad them or harboring bitterness and anger in our hearts because we see somebody getting the promotion that we felt like we deserved. Or saying it's not fair that this person is benefiting where I'm not benefiting and all those kind of things. This is the fruit that naturally is produced by giving into that natural impulse of our flesh. We all have it. Some of you are saying, "Well, wait a minute. I thought I was uh, you know that when Jesus died for me i 'm a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, right, so come on, why am I even struggling with it and it 's true the old has gone con- gone, the new has come, but that has more to do with who we are in a spiritual sense of we have been restored back into relationship with God from a judgment standpoint. The judgment has already been passed and Jesus paid the price. So we get to walk out of the court of law, free human beings. But we still reside in a human body that is still, that is still full of this natural impulse to sin. Still full of this natural impulse to run the things that are destructive. And we have to resist that. And I got to tell you, we can't do it by our, our own strength. We can't do it as much as we want to our own strength we can do it for a little bit but it's kind of like tying fruit onto branches ultimately it's going to wither and die the only way that we can actually produce the kind of fruit that is in keeping with the heart of our father god is through the spiritual enablement of god's spirit in us and so now paul pivots and he begins to look at the fruit that is produced from from walking after following the holy spirit's lead in our lives he says the fruit of the spirit is love, the kind of love that marks a father. <laughs> Hey-oh, there's a step there. So let's go ahead and take some steps, right? The fruit of the Spirit <laughs> is love. Our Father God is loving. It's, it, it is joy, right? That joy that comes not from our circumstances, but from our relationship, the, the, the trust that he's in control because we certainly don't experience that control. There are things that are way outside of our control, but even in the midst of that, That feeling of joy, the peace that comes from knowing that God is in control. And then here's an interesting one, and we're going to come back to it in just a moment. Many of you guys who have memorized this, you go, love, joy, peace. What normally comes after this? Patience. But I love the way that the NIV currently translate it. They translate it forbearance. Now, forbearance helps get closer to the heart. Peace is good. Forbearance. Others of your translations use long-suffering. Man, there's a power in understanding what this is getting at. I think of my boys right now. I've got a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old. Neither of whom are as mature as I would like them to be. Kathy feels the same way. About me. Yes, Kathy feels the same way about me. I often expect, particularly my firstborn, to be more mature than he is. Unfortunately, I remind him pretty regularly of how I would like him to be more mature. But here's the thing about forbearance, the thing about patience, the thing about being long-suffering, is that we are willing to recognize that that individual is also in process. It is not fair of me, a 41-year-old adult, to expect a 10-year-old boy to view The world to treat other people with the same way that I treat them, nor is it really fair for us to look at somebody else and say they should be more like me as if we are the paragon of maturity in this world, right? Unfortunately, so often what we do is we judge one another by ourselves And going back to the fruit of the flesh, we tend to to go, hey, I just need to be better than them, or they need to be more like me, as if God grades on a curve, right? He doesn't. Forbearance, patience, long-suffering means accepting that person where they're at, while at the same time not walking away from them as they are in process. It is in no way us saying, I'm going to accept you and you can stay right where you're at. Rather, it's a statement of, I love you. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to walk with you as you are in process. I recognize that God is working on your heart as well. I will allow him to use me as sandpaper in your life. Sometimes that iron sharpening iron is going to create friction. We're actually, by the way, next week going to be leaning more heavily into this particular topic of how we walk with people who are different than us, who are in their own process. We're going to lean really heavily into it. But there's something powerful about recognizing that that following the spirit means allowing other people to be in their own process and having patience with them. And when you have that frustration that wells up and that desire to be angry at them and to beat them up because they're not where you think they should be allowing that disappointment that discouragement that frustration to lead you into prayer for them as opposed to leading you to tear them up and tear them down. A lot of times our frustration comes from unmet expectations, right? We have a picture in our mind of what this person should be. And then we have the reality of who they are. And we have a choice when faced with the the conflict of those two things. Either we can tear up the picture of what we expect them to be and embrace the person. Or we can embrace the picture and, and tear up the person. And I think a lot of us have been going through our life tearing up the person because they don't meet our expectations. So the fruit of following the Spirit is loving people, finding joy in the midst of of a broken, sin-scarred world, being at peace, recognizing that at the end of the day... Whether Tony's lungs ever allow him to breathe fully, whether Tony Pekka is ever able to return from that open heart surgery, whether that person ever, you know, kind of comes back into marriage and says, I'm sorry, whether our spouse ever apologizes and recognize, whatever it is, whether our kids ever live exactly the way that they want or not. Finding a peace, knowing that God is in control and he is working on their heart as well, being patient and forbearing with one another. Leading with kindness as opposed to harshness and anger, goodness, faithfulness, saying, I I made a covenant to you and I'm going to follow it regardless. Gentleness. And most difficult of me right now, because I'm into ice cream, is self-control, right? All of these things, again, not a comprehensive list, just some examples of the kind of fruit that is naturally produced by following the Spirit's lead. And he, and he closes with these thoughts. He says in verse 20, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I skipped it. it. It's right before that. It's in verse 23. He says against these kind of f- fruit that are naturally produced, there is no law. Because remember, the law was put into effect to be guardrails to protect us from giving into the flesh. But if you're following the spirit, you're not under the law anymore. You just get to follow the spirit here's the point this morning and i'm going to invite god bless you i'm going to invite the worship team to come forward but here is the point this morning we all have impulses that war with or we have we have influences in our life that are warring for control of our heart we have a sin nature that says hey take that second look it doesn't hurt anybody hey Flip them the bird. They cut you off. They're a jerk. They deserve to know how you feel about them. Yeah, you're number one. Hey, it's okay if you fudge your numbers. The IRS is never going to check. Hey, it's okay to harbor bitterness and anger towards those people because they are short-sighted. And they think so differently, and the way they think is ridiculous and backwards. And in fact, if they get their way, it's going to harm you and your kids. So you better be vocal about it. In fact, go ahead. You have free reign to say anything you want on social media. Just write it down and hit send. Don't think about it. We can say yes to that. Or we can begin to say yes to the Holy Spirit that says, hey, yeah, you might be free, but that is not carte blanche freedom to live any way you want. Yes, you might live in a country where it's, you have freedom of speech, but you have also been bought at a price and you actually belong to the kingdom of God. So you are not free to say anything that you want. Whatever is loving, whatever is kind, whatever is gracious, whatever builds up as opposed to tearing down, that is the kind of thing that should be coming out of your mouth yes they put you down yes they said something mean to you that doesn't give you the freedom to return kind in kind so much we see the holy spirit as being one who is patient with people who are in process and before us today is a decision who am i going to follow am i going to follow my flesh's urges my sin nature am i going to follow the holy spirit's invitation to follow him And by the way, this is not a one-time decision, as if you have to make it one time and that's it. No. We make it time after time, every single day. Every every decision we have is an opportunity to follow the flesh or to follow the spirit. And here's the thing. The first couple of times that you're going to try to follow the spirit are the most difficult times. Because it's so ingrained to just go with the flesh. But as you begin to say yes to the spirit, as you begin to lay down your right to have the last word and to get your way, you take that first step Then the next step becomes a little bit easier and the next step after that is even easier than that. And all of a sudden you find that you don't even have to think about what does, the spirit, what does love require? What is the spirit inviting? It just comes naturally. But we all need to choose this day who we're gonna follow. Because how you answer that question in every moment will determine the kind of fruit your life produces. Father God, would you have your way with us? We recognize that we desperately need you. We want not only to rest in our identity as your sons and daughters, but we want to be representatives of your heart. Jesus, you said that the world will know we're your disciples by the way we love, by the kind of fruit our lives produce. I pray, Father, that you would help us today. To begin taking steps towards submitting to the Spirit's lead in our life. Towards recognizing when our flesh is rising up and saying, just just say it. Just, Just put those words into... And you know what? You don't even need to be apologetic about it. They deserved it. Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts? I'm so grateful you're not condemning of us. We certainly feel condemnation from time to time, but that's not from the Spirit. But thank you for convicting us. And I pray... Father God, that you would help us to become greater representatives of your heart as we take a step after a step after a step today of following our spirit's lead. pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.